As we look forward to the start of training camp in less than a month, we continue our look at what each individual player should work on this upcoming season. What can Caleb Martin, Duncan Robinson, and even Jimmy Butler improve on this year? We'll tell you on today's episode of Locked on Heat. You are Locked on Heat, your daily Miami Heat podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, welcome to Locked On Heat, your daily podcast on the Miami Heat. However, you might be tuning in, YouTube, Odyssey, or your favorite podcast app. Thanks so much for making Locked On Heat your first listen every day. Today's episode is brought to you by Bird Dogs. Go to birddogs.com slash locked on NBA or enter the promo code locked on NBA for a free water bottle with any purchase. You're not going to want to take your bird dogs off, I promise you. Uh, if you missed um, our episode earlier this week, we broke down what several Heat players needed to improve including how Bam Adebayo, Tyler Hero uh, could become more consistent scorers. We're moving on to the second half of the roster today, identifying one area where the, that player needs to improve this season. We're going to talk about Jimmy Butler, Caleb Martin, Nikola Jovic, Jamal Kane, Kyle Lowry, Duncan mm-hmm. Robinson, and Thomas Bryant. David, let's just jump right in and start with Jimmy Butler. The one thing that Jimmy Butler has to improve is? You know, it's kind of tough because it's uh, it, this is like – the answer, what do you give to the, the person that has everything, right? You know, and Jimmy Butler, a top 10 player, very, very good. Obviously, we saw him become almost historically good in the first part of the playoffs. Unfortunately, tapered off a little bit, maybe nursing injury, maybe just kind of, re, you know, regressing to the mean. At the same time, I think as good as he is, I'm kind of greedy. He shot a 35% from three-point range. He shot a little bit higher than that in the playoffs. I want more. I want Jimmy Butler to be closer to... 37%. I know it's not much of a change, but I think it's just enough mm. of a legitimate threat where it wouldn't necessarily be like, oh, that's just Jimmy, playoff Jimmy, etc. I want Jimmy to shoot 37% from three-point range on a minimum of two and a half attempts per game. So I thought you and I were going in the same exact place with this. I also had more, 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 but not more percentage. You had more of a percentage. I had just more, just take more, just take more threes. Frankly, okay. I don't really care what the percentage is. Just Ooh. take them. Just take well, them. Uh, we say I mean, that. You know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> we say that. Okay. Fair enough. But he made 35% of 103 three-pointers last year. He took 103 threes all of last regular season. He made 35% of them. We all know that that gets better in the playoffs historically for him. His, he's a good free-throw shooter. He shot uh, yeah. 85% from the line last year, 87% yeah. from the year before that. Like, when he shoots it, Look, it's kind of a weird set shot. It's not Clay Thompson. It's not picture perfect, but it works. It works for him. And and I just want him to take more of them. He's this is a guy that averages less than two three pointers a game basically for his career. There was only a couple seasons in his career where he really embraced it as a real shot, um, in terms of being part of his bag. And there's no reason yeah. why it shouldn't be. And when you're this when you're the first best player on the team and the second best player on the team is Bam Adebayo, who is also not a shooter. It's just a little bit harder. And I think back to what we saw with LeBron and D Wade and during the big three era. And towards the end of that, you know, they asked Chris Bosch to basically be the floor spacer at the beginning, but 2010, 2011 was kind of a different era than what they ended in, in 2014. And by the end of it, they needed LeBron to be taking threes. Yep. And, and you needed at least two of them to be taking threes. Cause you can't just, you just can't play two non shooters in your starting lineup and be in a lead offense in today's NBA. You can't. And the heat have gotten, the doorstep of a championship 
despite their offense. It is, that is a bug, not a feature. And they need to start turning that into a feature. And I think until we see it from Bam, there's probably people that think Bam is the guy that's more likely to start taking threes. But we've seen it from Jimmy. We've seen it. We've never seen it from Bam on a real level. Um, I think Jimmy's that guy. He doesn't have to be Steph Curry out there shooting nine of them a game. But give me two or three of them a game. I'm happy with that. Yeah, uh, I mean, I look back to his 16-17 season in Chicago right before he was traded to the Minnesota Timberwolves. Shot almost 37% on almost three and a half attempts, just shy of that, 3.3 attempts per game. And I think that's closer to where I'd like to see him. So I, I, I see the percentages there. I see the, the you know, I think there's the possibility of him putting up not just more attempts, but also shooting him at a higher percentage because he has done it. And it's a great point. And look, you, you mentioned the threat of him and, and the, diversity to the offense if he's willing and capable of taking more threes at a higher rate but it's also just self-preservation at this point in time everybody has questions like in, in context of the dame lillard trade it's like oh you're going to be paying a hundred billion dollars a year to these two players if you acquire dame lillard that are going to be at the tail end of their career yes but jimmy's also playing at a very high level despite his age and i'd like that to be the continue, you know, the, the, what we see continuously moving forward. And I think a big part of that would be kind of taking his foot off the gas a little bit in terms of those drives to the basket. That's a good point. I think he's, yeah, I just want him to be able to like do the opposite of what we saw from Dwayne Wade, who was not able to incorporate that effectively into his repertoire at the tail end of his career. Let's move on to Caleb Martin. Um, the one big thing that Caleb Martin needs to improve. David, you want to go first here? Yeah, it's, it's a tough one because Part of my the lens through which I view this is what version of Caleb Martin are we going to see? Like the year before last, he was this impactful player off the bench, great value contract, etc. And then we see a player kind of looking for his footing during the regular season of last year because he was coming off the bench, because he was starting, because he was out of position, because he was just trying to figure out how to fit into that rotation one way or the other. And then in the playoffs emerging like a nuclear baby there giving birth being birthed at the right time to have this incendiary series against the Boston Celtics and just a really good consistent performer for most of the playoffs and now we're also going to see this next phase of him uh, and I think that's another version of him that we have to consider is that he's going to be playing for a contract it's likely not with Miami and I hate to, mm-hmm. to put that out there but I think that's just a reality he's going to be getting his first big payday in the NBA and how does he balance efficiency with aggression? So that's what I'd like to see from him is a, a mix of the two versions that we've seen or the multiple versions that we've seen from Caleb, while at the same time playing with a sense of urgency, not just to help the team win, but also to make sure that you get that bag because that is important for players as it should be. I hear what you're saying. You know, you're usually excited about a player in a contract year because of the production that typically comes along with it. But you're right. Like what Caleb Martin brings to the table is not – scoring necessarily obviously if he's scoring 26 points like he did in game seven of the eastern conference finals that's great um and obviously i think you know he averaged 9.8 points per game i think last year um something around there if you can average more than that that would obviously be helpful but you don't want him to kind of be focusing on that and it taking away from all the other little things that he does so well that he is sort of the reason why he gets on the court in the first place like he's not on the court because of his scoring ability, right? Eric Spolstra yeah, plays him because of yeah. defense, his defense, his rebounding. He plays bigger than his size, his versatility, all the kind of stuff that doesn't necessarily show up in the box score. That's really the stuff that Caleb Morton is great at. And ultimately what I think is going to get him paid. 
right? I think that stuff gets him paid more than, obviously, if he picks up the scoring numbers, that's going to help. But I think more so than just the scoring numbers. Uh, so I agree with you there. What I had written down, I just want more consistency from Caleb Martin. Uh, I think we get kind of lost in the in the Eastern Conference Finals performance of his um, and think that this was some magical kind of year for him. It was an amazing mm-hmm. series, right, for him. And it was a great playoff run in general. And and he was playing out of position from the half the year, uh, starting at power forward when he shouldn't have been, okay? All of that stuff uh, is true. But he wasn't exactly the most consistent producer, right? There were 16 games where he had 14 or more points. There was 22 games where he scored less than six points. It just—it was very much kind of like eat or starve with Caleb Martin on a night-to-night basis. The Heat went nine and seven in the 16 games where he scored 14 or more points. Ten and 12 in the 22 games where it's fewer than six points. They're a winning team when he scores points. They're a losing team when he doesn't really contribute. Right? And again, I, I don't want to harp on just the scoring numbers here. I don't think that that's what's going to get him paid. But he can't. He needs to do something. He can't have those nights where it's like one of four from three point range and three points. Like that, that's just not going to do it. Miami, Miami's offense bench. doesn't have that prolific score to help balance that. You can't right. have a negative offensive asset out there, which is basically what Caleb was reduced to at times. Now, that might change with Damian Lillard, and maybe we'll mm-hmm. see. You know, if Miami does lock in Lillard, can Caleb afford to just be that that glue guy, that energy guy, that the high level role player where he's making plays with his passing, his defense, and things of that sort. That remains to be seen. But again, the trade has to be finalized before we can project that far ahead. A couple of guys that could be involved in that trade. We're going to talk about them next. Specifically, Nikola Jovic. Will his World Cup performance prove that he's ready for a bigger role? We're going to talk about that next here on Locked on Heat. Today's episode of Locked on Heat is brought to you by Bird Dogs. Look, I love my bird dogs, they make me look good with their stretch khaki shorts designed to fit slimmer through the thigh and leg, giving me a truly sculpted look. To put it another way, bird dog shorts do the same exact thing as Lululemon, but they fit way better. They're way better than regular shorts that are made of stiff, restricting cotton. You don't want that look. I have the Lululemon shorts. I have a bunch of other pairs of shorts. I live in Miami, for God's sakes. I have two drawers full of shorts, and every single time it's short season, I reach for those bird dogs every single time. They're the only shorts I wear now. Uh, bird dogs uses anti-stink sweat wicking fabric that keeps me cool and dry all day long. I can wear them to the golf course, to the pool, in the pool, to the beach, in the ocean, anywhere I go, I wear to Publix, wherever for my shopping. I wear them everywhere. Trust me, you got to get yourself a pair. Go to birddogs.com slash NBA or enter the promo code LockedOnNBA at checkout for a free water, uh, bird dogs water bottle. With your order, that's birddogs.com slash NBA for a free water bottle at checkout. You're not going to want to take your bird dogs off. We promise you. Thanks for making Lockdown Heat your first listen every day. Make sure that you're subscribed on YouTube and your favorite podcast app every day. Or tune in later this week as we start our player season previews. We're going to focus on Tyler Hero and Kyle Lowry. And how that situation can play out if they don't trade for Damian Lillard before the start of the season. We got a bunch of fun topics that we're going to be hitting categories throughout that series. Uh, you're not going to want to miss uh, that. All right, but let's move on to our uh, our podcast here. One thing that every Heat player needs to improve. Let's move on mm. to Nikola Jovic. We did a deep dive on Jovic's uh, 
Jovic's World Cup performance um, last week, David. And uh, he's only, since we've recorded that, continued playing well for Serbia, who's playing awesome right now in the World Cup. Are they David. still in it? They weren't eliminated. They're still in it. They won this morning, yeah. So, okay. And he's a big part of that, right? And one of the points that I made on that show was he's on a team. This is not like, no offense to South Sudan, who they decimated. They ain't South Sudan, right? Like, this is a team that has a legit NBA player in Bogdan Bogdanovic. They have a lot of really experienced international players on that team, 30-year-olds on that team, and they are. And Jovic is playing some of the most minutes on that squad. They are routinely looking to get him the ball. And right now, what he is doing in the World Cup, he's showing off that tantalizing skill set that we've talked about since the Heat drafted him last year, right? The right. playmaking. The shooting, the nimbleness, the versatility, the running the floor. He's doing all of that stuff, uh, at least offensively. And so let's just talk about it. What's the one thing that you think he needs to improve even after we've seen how impressive he's been in the World Cup? Can I just add as an aside, it's really sure. nice seeing Blazers fans kind of come around and, and seeing like a, a tweet posted with Nikola Jovic already inserted into a Blazers uniform as member of the starting lineup. Like, Wait, I don't know. Fake uniforming, uniforming him? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Again, who's? Wow. I think the tweet was, who's stopping this starting five with Jovic at center? So it's not – it's completely okay. 180 to who the hell is this guy to like, wow, we can't lose with the him. Starting, starting five with Portland? Yeah, with Portland so what, and Tyler Hero. Tyler Hero's in there too. So again, it might what be half a Tyler Hero, Jovic, like yeah. Nasir Little. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like, no. Jeremy Grant, Jeremy Grant. I think I think Anthony Simons, and I can't recall the third star, the fifth starter there. But it, again, it doesn't really matter. It's just like even my co-host on Lockdown NBA, you know, Matt Moore. We've been joking all summer long about Nikola Jovic being really good. It's like, oh, he's not much of an asset, and now kind of everybody's kind of saying, you know what? Yeah, he actually seems like a pretty good NBA player. So my my summer agenda has right. come full circle. And so I in love terms it. of what he needs to improve, nothing. He's a perfect player. <laughs> Take him, Portland. He's he's. This is the centerpiece. You were looking for a blue chipper. You got him. Exactly. Uh, the defense is the easy answer, which is why I'm not yeah. going to use it. The oh. three-point shooting. I, I think the three-point shooting. I want to see him shoot consistently at an elite level. We talked about it during our, our talk, our episode on, on Jovic's strong performance in the World Cup. Like the the consistency as a catch a catch and shooter, you know, catch and shoot player, a uh, guy who's just, what is it, the 0.5 second rule? Like just... Mm -hmm. Don't take the time to think about it, to shoot on reflex and to be that kind of confident level player that can be an impactful player at the NBA level, not just when you're playing with your countrymen for something bigger like a national title in the FIBA World Cup. It's it's a little different. There's an adjustment for European players coming into the NBA and having to play alongside guys with egos like Jimmy Butler, Kyle Lowry, etc. And for Jovic as a 19-year-old, that's a big learning process right there. And we didn't see those moments of comfort of just willingness to take that shot at a moment's notice. And I think that's the next step for him is to just be able to knock those shots down consistently. Again, I, I think he can be close to, I don't know, let's just say, let's let the bar low, 35, 37% shooter somewhere around. League there. average. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm with you on that. Those are all the things that I had written down in my notepad. It was outside shot and defense. They're the obvious ones, but they're the ones but I think right. you bring up a really good point in the quick decision making. And I do think a little bit has made has been made too much of, hey, this is how the Heat want to use Nikola Jovic. And I agree to an extent, but it's not going to be with that usage rating that right. he has in Serbia. And that's a credit to Jovic that they're looking at him the way that they're looking for him. 
But the Heat aren't going to be looking for him in that same way. They got Jimmy Butler. They got Bam Adebayo. Heck, they might even have Damian Lillard, right? And, and maybe Jovic is a part of the team or not. I don't know. But either way, he's not playing that heavy of a role in the NBA at 20 years old. He's not. So what can he do to make a similar impact while having the ball less? Being asked to do, quite frankly, less. And the thing is, hit your outside shots when you're open, play good defense, and then just make the right play. And that point fiving that you were talking about is key. Be quick with your decision-making, be decisive with it, and then do something with the ball. Shoot, cut, or keep it moving, right? And that's what you got to do. And I do think that that skill, and when you kind of simplify things to that, those percentages start to trend upwards. Like the shooting percentages, yeah. it goes up. When you shoot with confidence and decisiveness, you're, the shot's better. Yeah. Uh, your shooting percentage overall goes up because if you're cutting and you're driving uh, closeouts with decisiveness, then you're going to get to the basket more efficiently. And and all those things are helpful. So it's all those things. It's just kind of putting it all together and figuring out that role in Miami, whatever it might be. And i also say this. I can go to the Heat's perspective too. What can you do to improve for Nikola Jovic, Right. Find him a role, and I'm not. And, and he was injured last year with back problems, and he only played 15 games in the NBA, and that was the reason why. But can you find him a role, whether it's starting, coming off the bench, playing powerful, whatever it is, find him a role and let him play the role and let him learn and grow through that role because it's not going to be smooth all the way from the beginning. He's going to have learn, a learning curve, right? There's going to be growing pains, and you got to let him work through those. Yeah, I agree. Uh, let's move on. Yeah, let's do Kyle Lowry. Uh, look, I know a lot of Heat fans are probably going to click the, the stop button or the fast-forward button or anything like that because they don't see Lowry as part of this roster. They're kind of done with him. But right now, the deadline just passed for them to kind of stretch and wave his contract or wave yeah. and stretch his contract. So at, at least in the foreseeable future, it seems like Lowry is going to be part of the Heat roster. And as such, why not have a better version of him? And I don't know what version of him – we'll see next season. But if there is going to be an area of improvement, even for a player of his standing at this point in his career, I'd like to see him lean into the mid-range shot even more effectively than he did last year. He was a really good mid-range shooter, despite what some he fans might think. And I want him to embrace that because the three-point shot, I don't think is going to be consistently there for him, although he hit some big shots in the playoffs. And once he started coming off the bench in a much clearer role, the drives to the basket, virtually non-existent. As much as some people might say, well, you're going to be clogging that area there with Bam and Jimmy, et cetera. Well, I mean, I think we're going to see staggered lineups where Lowry probably isn't going to be playing alongside either of those two mm-hmm. players, especially if the little trade is finalized. And that being the case, I think leaning into that mid-range shot uh, even more so is probably an, an area where he can really be impactful in terms of next season. I like how specific you were with that. I just had to take more shots. Uh, he okay. took 8.8 field goal attempts last year. It's the lowest since he became a full-time starter in 2009. And that's wow. not just because his minutes were down. That's per 36 minutes, too. All of the numbers across the he wasn't. He didn't shoot last year, David. He didn't shoot. Yeah. And when you're in the starting lineup with Jimmy and Bam and Duncan Robinson and Max Struess and Gabe Vincent, guys with green lights, I get it. I get it. You want to set the table for them. You want to get them their shots. You're unselfish, and that's why they brought you there. And you want to play good defense. But here's what happened. Since Kyle Lowry's joined the Miami Heat, he's no longer the same player defensively. I would argue he's probably a negative defensively because of his size and lack of athleticism yeah. at this point. Yeah. And the shot has the three point shot has kind of gone away. So he's not really a catch and shoot three pointer either, three point shooter either. And the biggest thing that's happened, I don't think he's a starter anymore. 
I think he's coming off the bench next year if he's playing for the Miami Heat. And so if that's the case, if you're no longer playing as a starter with Jimmy and Bam, then I don't want you feeding the backups. I don't want you looking to get Thomas Bryant 12 shots a game. I don't want – you know what I mean? Like you shouldn't be trying to feed Duncan Robinson and Caleb Martin the way that you would try to feed Jimmy Butler – and Bam Adebayo, right? You want to get them shots, but you don't want to feed them to that level. They're not the star players. If he's coming off the bench as Miami's maybe kind of six-man backup point guard kind of guy, lead ball handler off the bench, yeah, he should be taking those shots. And maybe if they're to your point, maybe there's a, more in the mid-range and there's those opportunities and some second-unit pick-and-roll stuff with Thomas Bryan or Orlando Robinson, something we'll touch on in the next uh, uh, segment. But I just want him taking more shots, man. I just want you to – you got to do it. You got to do it because you can't be as unselfish as you were last year because you ended up being a non-factor and you lost your starting job because of it. Yeah. 64% of his shots last year were from three-point range. Like that's like bulk of his shooting opportunities because again, there, there's there's the explosiveness is gone. Uh, and of course the mid-range, not necessarily the most efficient shot, et cetera. But if that's all that's available to you, you know what? It's still a, a valuable weapon, a part of your arsenal. So let lean into it as far as I'm concerned. What is uh, Thomas Bryant? need to do to earn the backup center job behind Bam Adebayo. We're going to talk about that next here on Locked on Heat. Welcome back to Locked on Heat. Thanks for making us your first listen every day. Every day or tune in later this week as we start our player season previews. We're going to focus on Tyler Hero and Kyle Lowry. What cheesecake factory dish they are. Oh, well, you teased it. I can't believe it. Oh, oh, unbelievable. You know, you can't go wrong with the Cheesecake Factory, of course. But uh, I gave it away. I gave it away, but I wasn't going to. But how do you not get excited? How do you not tune in for that? Now you're like, I don't even really know what that segment is. I got to tune in to find out. I I am psyched about it. Like, you know, we were talking about this in the, the, you know, this is a peek behind the curtain. We've been doing this for years, obviously, even before you went and joined Lockdown Warriors. And, you know, we we did, uh, you know, we compare them to characters in movies. We've uh, different, I think, characters in TV shows, and and perhaps as we talked about earlier, you know, our peak <laughs> comparing heat players to chain food of chain fast food restaurants. That was peak radio right there. Uh, really, really good stuff. And and here peak we are leading into radio. Yeah, well, you don't need to provide that caveat, but you know, the Cheesecake Factory. I wonder still where it ranks in terms of like NBA player. Uh, number one, number one, still, yeah. Uh, well, I should say NBA player, it's bigger in college sports because all these college towns have cheesecake factories because that's where your parents take you every time they come into town. Good point. And so, all every single university town, every college town has a cheesecake factory near it for that reason. And, um, and so they're they're prevalent every time you're on the road. If you're they opened one in basketball player, and (laughs) but. They opened one in Gainesville when I was living there, and it was like, it was like the hot spot, you know. <laughs> Lines out the door. And, I went and to I a wedding you're... in um in the Bay Area recently, and uh, we we got off the plane, took an Uber to the hotel, and uh, it was out in um it was out in uh, Pleasanton, uh, for people that might be listening that might know where that is, and there was there's a mall near there, and the only oh. thing that we could eat was the Cheesecake Factory. And you know what? I wasn't upset about it. It was my first time at Cheesecake Factory in quite a while. Oh, sat okay. at the I was bar. Say. And uh, I had um, one of the worst espresso martinis I've ever had. But oh. other than that, it was a good time. Other than that, it was a good 
It sounds like it's a, always a horrible combination. Espresso and martini? It's delicious. Oh, really? I'll yeah. take your word for it. I'll never order it. I mean, look, I, I like I like a nice espresso flavored, you know, dark beer, but I'm not mixing it with a martini. I don't know. That seems I mean, it's not it seems like you're walking right? No, it's, it's, it still it's seems right? like you're walking it's espresso and vodka. All right, man. Hey, to, to each other. I guess it's okay. I guess it's okay. All, All right. right. <laughs> Duncan I Robinson. Let's talk about Duncan Robinson. What's the one thing that he needs to improve, David? You know, we saw glimpses of it where he was like almost downright lethal in the playoffs, and it added such a different aspect to his game. But I want to see him lean into that creator passing role because okay. in pick and roll situations, he had such a nice chemistry with Bam Bio, as he always has. And it was just an added wrinkle that defenses were not expecting at that postseason level. Like, you don't see Duncan a lot. He doesn't get a lot of playing time, perhaps, during the regular season. You're worried about him and his incredible three-point shooting. Whether he's knocking him down or not, the threat, the gravity is still there as a shooter. But why not add something to it? I wrote about this last year, and we saw it here in, in spurts every once in a while during the regular season. He was incorporating that floater to diversify his repertoire a little bit. Change it completely. Not just a score, but now you're going to become a playmaker and passer as well. I'd like to see him improve on that. That's a great one. Uh, don't disagree with that. Um, I have written down here just the fouls, and this is more building on that playoff run. I think the understated thing about his playoff run, everybody focuses on the three-point shooting that per- that peaked up from, what was it, 37% yeah. to 44% in the playoffs. Obviously, you need to continue shooting at uh, top 1% in the NBA level, right? You need to be right. – World class at shooting. You got that 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 goes without saying. But I like the, the the understated thing was that the fouls came down. The reason that Duncan Robinson was not on the court was less the three point shooting slumps, and it was more just the constant fouling. He was averaging four fouls per thirty six minutes during right. the regular season. In the playoffs, and I kept trying to point this out as much as I could. That number went down to three point one fouls per thirty six minutes. Now it doesn't sound like a lot, but trust me, it is. It's a huge yeah. difference. Because it's, it's about when you pick him up. Like we're seeing with Jaron Jackson now for Team USA. If you haven't watched it, it's like, you know, defensive player of the year, my ass. He picks up a foul within the first minute and a half of play. And next thing you know, he's a non-factor out there because he's not doing anything else. And I know that's FIBA rules and everything else like that. But it's the same thing with Duncan. It's like you can't leave your elite shooter out there who's a negative on defense. If as soon as he's out on the floor, he picks up a ticky-tack foul for no reason. And I'm glad he brought it up because he did really cut that out. You've been consistent about that yeah. point of playoffs. You know, availability being the primary ability, right? And there he was. He was out on the floor long enough to make an impact because he didn't get that quick hook because he did put himself in foul trouble. And then you get to explore those other parts of your game, the the the, the playmaking stuff, the floater and all these things because you're on the floor. You get just more room to explore. You get more room for activities. You know what I mean? And you need, yeah. you need to stay on the court. And talking with Duncan and talking with people around Duncan on it, the, the fouling was the thing that they were most thrilled about. It was like, wow, because it wasn't just like by chance, not fouling. It was like, it was a concerted effort. It was something that they had been working on for years, for years. And it feels like in the playoffs, things started to take a turn. And I, I think this is going to be a big, re, a big year for Duncan Robinson. If he's of course still with the Miami heat. Um, but let's move on to, let's do Jamal Kane here. Hmm. What do you have? This one's tough. I- yeah, you know, he's he seems like he's first of all, he didn't really get much opportunity and whatever garbage minutes he did play didn't seem like they were significant enough to really take anything from there. Yeah. But we know that if you're a player that's on the fringes, you're a young player looking for a contract, etc., the way to expose heart is always going to be defense. And so for Kane, I want him to use that elite wingspan, the athleticism 
to be a disruptor on defense. That's where I see him being impactful. We'd love for him to be able to knock down the corner three or to use that athleticism, the sky to the rim, et cetera. But in the absence of that, because we know that we're not going to get that consistently from a young player still in development, it's bust your ass on defense and make it noticeable so that Eric Spolster has no choice but to play you. If we're worried about Miami's depth next season, because who knows what they have to give up in a trade, then you've got to find a way to stand out and be an impactful player. We saw it with Caleb Martin. I talked about it before. It's defense for Jamal Kane. That's what he needs to be best at. You're probably right. I just, I, I, I just I, think I when, hear a book when, coming. When you're when you're buried behind Caleb Martin and Haywood Highsmith on the depth chart, you're not going to be better defensively than those guys. Uh, so, you, when the reason I say you're probably right is you got to be good enough defensively to play, yep. but you're not going to be better than them to earn minutes over them. So I what can so what can you do? I don't, you're not going to be better than Caleb Martin, so forget that. He shot 37.5% on threes in the G League last year. If he could be better as a three-point shooter than Haywood Highsmith, maybe there's a world where he's getting those minutes and Highsmith isn't. And Highsmith, I think we talked about him last week, like his outcome is like not playing and maybe starting. Like it is crazy, an outcome for him. And the thing we talked about with him is improving as a three-point shooter. If that improvement from the corners on those corner threes for Highsmith does not come, that could be the way Jamal Cain can go ahead and steal those minutes. That said, I don't really know what he does well. He doesn't play. He doesn't play. I don't know what he does, David. And you got to be good at something as an NBA player. Right. And I like Jamal Cain. I love the work ethic. I love the attitude. I love the athleticism. I love the length. I love all of it. I don't know if he's an NBA player. I just don't. I, I don't know it. I'm not saying he's yeah. not. I just don't know it. So Shades show me of what he's the Apollo, right? Yeah. Show me what you do at an NBA level. Show me what you do. Is it shooting? Is it cutting? I would like to see him cut off the ball and, and, and mm. find ways to get to the basket that way. Can you become an elite off-ball cutter? Because he's got the athleticism to be that. Be a lob threat the way that the Heat just don't have a lot of, right? Be that guy. And then obviously you got to be good enough defensively to get on the court in an NBA game too. So just show me something that you do at an NBA level. Uh, last one is Thomas Bryant. Mm. David, this one's really easy for me. What is it? It's defense. It's defense. Offensively, it's there. This dude scored 31 points in a game for the Lakers. He is capable of big offensive nights. He's a, what, 36% career three-point shooter. This dude, when I say tantalizing, the skill set is tantalizing. And he, and he talk, and, and every team talks themselves into signing Thomas Bryant, and we're going to fix Thomas Bryant, and we're going to make him a rotation uh, backup center in the NBA. And he starts, and, and, and he starts off hot, and then by the end of his tenure with the Lakers, the Nuggets, whatever team he's playing for, he ends up being out of the rotation and off the team. And that's because defensively, he's one of the worst centers in the NBA. And that is not hyperbole. You look at the stats. He graded out as one of the worst rim, protector, rim protectors in the league per uh, B-ball index, who we have uh, stats from. He was the sixth worst defender among all centers overall. He's like down there with James Wiseman, who I'm not sure is an NBA player. Like, it's yeah. it's really bad. And you talk to people that knew him with the Lakers or Denver, and they just say, look, we love him. He means well. But defensively, there's just a lot of hill to climb there. And that's that's the job that the Heat have. Yeah, um, I think that's well said. Uh, I, I don't really want to add anything to it. But for for the you know, sake of this show, I think it's worth exploring another possibility. And, and when I was thinking about this specifically about, you know, Bryant, like what 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 do I want to see from him? as a heat center 
a backup center likely. And and I just I can't help but shake the the ghost of Dwayne Dedman out of my head there. And it's just like be anything but Dwayne Dedman. And that's not necessarily an improvement that Bryant can work on. But if there's one thing that I think Heat fans grew increasingly tired of from Dedman was you know seeing him when Miami first added him before the Orlando bubble and then watching him kind of just slip as he continued to age and become less of a player like not rebounding not going after rebounds not being an active guy who could even get that put back on offense etc that's what i'd like to see from brian because we saw that so often we, we miami's missing that and they missed it in the playoffs when they were clearly outsized and i think they just to get a big body out there that can make an impact on boards to create secondary offensive mm-hmm. opportunities for bam etc i think we that's what Miami needs the most. So yeah, you're absolutely right. The defense, he can't be a sieve out there. And I think that's probably what's likely to happen unless he's fully healthy and committed and Miami can work a miracle yet again. And the specific but, issues there defensively, slow footed, slow to react. Yeah. It's slow. Yeah. It's just being, and the injury slow. didn't he's help athletic enough. And the injuries have not helped, but he's athletic enough to make up for that. Cause he shows you as a roller and as a rebounder that there's, there's, there's some juice there. Like there is something there, man. Like, just defensively applying it. That's what he's got to figure out. And, and look, I, I think that the Miami Heat, it's going to be the best defensive coaching staff he's ever been a part of. Um, and that he's going to be better. I believe that in Miami. But can he too. be good enough? Because it's, again, one of the worst players in the league defensively. You were unplayable, literally unplayable, despite all of the good stuff offensively. That's... That's a lot of work to do to get to even below average. And if I think if he was a below average defender, he would be on the court regularly because of what he could provide you offensively and from a rebounding perspective. Yeah, I was just looking at the numbers right now. Less than 90 games played over the last three seasons. You know, Rob, the injuries have just robbed whatever potential he had. There were moments, I remember, he like burned Miami when he was with the Wizards years ago. And that seems like an eternity ago, but that was the kind of player that they were expecting to get, that they were going to, develop him and he was quite defined and everything else like yep. that and just it never worked out uh, they would have been happy with the kind of offensive development they were getting from him you know, despite whatever defensive limitations he had but unfortunately now it's just he's he's not any of that so i i think you're right though i think there's reason for optimism i know we'll talk about that when we do have our, our season preview of bryant but I, I think there's potential for him to be an impactful player here in miami well, that'll do it for us today. Thanks for making Lockdown Heat your first listen every day. Every day or tune in later this week as we start our player season previews. We're going to focus on Tyler Hero and Kyle Lowry and how that situation can play out if the Heat don't trade for Damian Lillard before the start of the season. So hit that subscribe button on YouTube. Follow us on your favorite podcast app.